Welcome to the We Are SC podcast. This is Eric McKinney, joined this week by Greg Katz. Greg, we're going to jump around to a few topics uh, over the course of this podcast. We're going to hit uh, USC and the NFL draft. Uh, we're going to talk about offensive tackle Drew Richmond coming over the, tra- the grad transfer from Tennessee. We're going to talk about your night at the, the Juju Foundation dinner, a tribute to Trojan football legends. Uh, the new USC drum major, the first female uh, in the history of the, the marching band, India Anderson. And then we're going to get into, uh, I, I was able to sit down with head strength and conditioning coach Aaron Osmus for a little Q&A uh, last week. And that went, went up on the site um, early th- earlier this week. But getting right into it, let, let's jump into the NFL draft uh, held last week, Thursday through Saturday. USC ends the three days with four draft picks. Chuma Adoga, just, just to recap quickly, Chuma Adoga going in the third round to the Jets, Iman Marshall in the fourth round to the Ravens, Marvell Tell and Cameron Smith both go in the fifth round, Tell to the Colts, Smith to the Vikings. And, and, and there were some undrafted free agents, some camp invitees uh, also that, that were on that 2018 USC roster. But, but I think the number is four. You, you look at four picks in that draft, and when you flip the calendar back a little bit, you're really talking about that 2015 recruiting class that at the time, and even really looking back at some of those names in that class, it, it was phenomenal, um, that 2015 group. And, and that there's no other way to say than that, say it, that it, it's underwhelming to look at four uh, picks at, at sort of any time, any year coming out of USC. Um, but that group, I, I mean, to, to be frank, that's a number that they have to get figured out. That they, they, USC, if you're going to tell people you are the number one uh, NFL factory in college football, y- you just can't have a year with four guys. Well, I think it gets down to actually uh, – I- uh, thank you very much for leading me into my uh, Friday ONSO call. <laughs> and it gets down to, to development, player development. Uh, you know, four players, you know, for SC, that's not, that's kind of underwhelming. But what's more underwhelming to me is where they were picked. No first round draft pick, no second round draft pick. The thing that amazed me was the third round draft pick of Chume Doga who from my perspective was inconsistent during his time at USC uh, and obviously was a focal point of many holding penalties, offsides penalties, personal foul penalties. It's like, uh, you know, discipline is part of development. And then what do we see in the draft? We see that uh, he gets picked by the Jets in the third round because he has a great senior bowl practice, looks good in the combine. And you go, wait a minute, there's a real disconnect between what happened at the end of his career and what he did at the NFL. I mean, if I'm a player, maybe I go, well, it really doesn't matter except what I do in the combine. And, of course, that isn't going to help USC's team cause as far as championships and playoff possibilities. So that that caught my attention. And then I, I looked at, you know, some of the others. I mean, I know that uh, Biggie Marshall – was taken by the Ravens, but then there's word that they're going to maybe move him to, to uh, you know, a safety position, which is where I contended all along that I thought he should have been. And I'm not alone. Uh, many, many people on our message boards uh, 
supported that same idea. And then Marvell Tell, of course, with, within Indianapolis Colts, they're talking about moving in from safety to maybe defensive back. You know, one of the things that was, uh, when we talk about player development, it's what position are they developing at? Uh, many times during the John McKay era, the John Robinson era, uh, the Pete Carroll era, uh, to some extent, it's where these players were slotted in and protected by those coaches. So I know during the McKay era, I know I'm going way back, but a lot of guys that were tight ends were moved to tackle. Uh, sometimes big fullbacks are moved to guards. So that idea to project players is part of the development process. I think what you're going to see is what, uh, and what I wrote for for Friday was, you know, when you're going and you're recruiting, uh, and I think some of you brought up, uh, you know, right on, spot on, was where were these players ranked when they came out of high school? And where are they at the end of the career? How many transfer in, transfer out? Even players that transfer out, you would have to put as development. Uh, and that's, of course, we're going to find out with next year's draft, uh, because you have new coaches now, but can new coaches accelerate that development? So uh, those those names, uh, you know, got me. Uh, but a guy like Cameron Smith, now this is a guy that is so self-motivated that going to the Vikings, he's, he's going to play. He's going to make the team special teams uh, at the worst. Uh, you know, maybe a first and second down guy. Uh, obviously, pass coverage is not going to be his thing in the NFL. Uh, you know, it gets down to athletic ability. But, uh, you know, it's just where these guys are placed in the draft that I found uh, fascinating, actually. I think what's interesting, too, when when you look at the draft, as far as USC is concerned, USC players are concerned, it doesn't seem like USC players are getting the benefit of the doubt anymore. If if it's between, you know, say you have an offensive lineman. I mean, I, I look at a guy like Chris Brown, the production that he had on the field last year, when you look at sort of how he graded out by some of these sites uh, that, that grade players on a play-by-play, game-by-game basis, he seems like a guy that in the past, hey, let, you know, let's take him in the sixth round. Let's take him in the seventh round. Make sure that we can get him uh, a, a guy from USC, uh, a guy that's played a lot of football, and grade it out like this, let's go ahead and take him. It just doesn't feel like USC is, is in that position where their guys are getting the benefit of the doubt. And again, this is, it's USC. And I, we, we kind of hit on this almost all the time when it comes to the draft or recruiting or anything you're, you've seen with Pete Carroll here, you're just a flip of the switch away. I mean, it, it doesn't take long to get back there if you can get it right. And if you can get it rolling that's sort of what I took away from this draft, though, was that you, you're really starting to see if it's not a, a no-brainer, people don't have to come and take USC players anymore. And that's something I think, especially because you look at this next draft class and it doesn't have a lot of seniors in it. We'll see sort of how the junior class does uh, in terms of guys maybe potentially leaving early. But again, you're, I mean, just based on numbers of seniors right now, you're not looking at a, you know, a massive, you know, USC assault on the draft again. And then when you start putting together kind of back to back classes where you're not making a lot of noise in the NFL draft, that's something that other schools can really jump on in in terms of using that uh, for for recruiting to, you know, negatively recruit or, or even push their numbers. I mean, you look at Washington's numbers just in this draft, that's something where year over year, especially with those defensive backs, 
um, a position that USC hasn't really dominated with in terms of recruiting lately. That's something where some of these other schools are, are going to be able to start using this, uh, I think, as they move forward. Well, I think one of the, the points, if I can um, uh, add on a little bit to what you said, you know, we saw in some of the quotes uh, from players in stories, various websites, various newspaper articles, where the word development started coming in and being used against SC by the recruits themselves. I didn't think I was going to be developed there. And, you know, part of getting developed, to be honest with you, is like anything else. Uh, developed means uh, also known as improving and getting better. And are they really, are they really getting better? The, the point that I, that I would uh, suggest is that when SC players come to SC, do they already think they're good enough? Now, if you have a coaching staff, a strong one like Pete Carroll's was in the, I would say, the first half of his dynasty, I mean, where, the, where I think we all would agree that that was a top-notch staff. These players, even if they were five-star, they so respected the coaches that they had that they felt that they wanted to get better. And of course, that trickles down from the next to the next recruiting class. It's a, you know, it's a domino effect. But when you start getting in situations where players don't think they're getting developed, but you know what? They that also has to do with recruiting and character. Are you recruiting players that want to develop? I mean, we, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, was it Isaiah Langley who, who said, or Achille Ross, uh, one of them said, uh, oh, yeah, I'm going to be there for three years, and then I'm, I'm on to the league. Achille well, this Ross. was before yes. he even, yeah, that's before he even stepped on the field. You know, Howard Jones, Ryan Kennedy Field. That's the attitude that you saw under the Paul Hackett era, okay? That changed during the Pete Carroll era for the most part. That players were trying to win for SC, therefore they tried to get better for SC. But if your motivation is, well, you know, I'm just going to go to SC because, you know, it's it's a name I can brag about it, and then I'm, you know, I'm going to go to the NFL. You know, remember how many free agents that SC uh, has this year, uh, starting with Porter Gustin, uh, Jane A. Harris, Toa Lobendon, et cetera, et cetera. You know, these guys weren't drafted. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens with him, especially especially Porter Gustin, because I think if he had been healthy, uh, he probably would have gone somewhere in seven rounds. Sure. But he had such a star-crossed injury situation. Uh, then with, uh, you know, a lot of people think that he's just a bodybuilder and not really a football player, that he's not that technically uh, uh, disciplined. Well, if he's not technically disciplined, then you'd have to say, hey, buddy, you know, I'm your coach. You're going to either do what I tell you or you're going to sit. I don't care how, how much you look like uh, Hercules. So, you know, that to me, when I look at the guys that were free agents, uh, you know, some of them I can, I can, you know, I'll honestly say I could root for Malik Dorton to try to hook on. I think he was a hard worker. So, uh, you know, you just, you just never know. But it's never just one thing when, it, when we talk about the draft. And this idea of development, it's, it's, a, it's a combination of a, of a number of things. And I think it's important, too, with the NFL draft. I mean, the college football and the NFL, I, I think sort of maybe more and more as you look at kind of the offensive schemes that are being put in in, in college, it, it's not really a one-to-one -one thing. I mean, in the NFL, you're still trying to find – can and, and here's going to be the word development again. Can this guy does, – does this guy have a few more years – of development left because because that's a guy where 
maybe he didn't have the college production of somebody else, but if they think they're going to get more out of him down the line, that could be something where they, they go on him. But, you know, bottom line, it's going to be, they're, they're going to pick the guys who are the best football players. And this year NFL teams thought there were, there were no USC players in those first two rounds. I, I think I saw a stat 2002. Um, what was, you have to go all the way back to that year to find no USC player uh, selected in the first or second round. Um, and, and I that's mean, I mean, uh, look, look at it. There's a year five and seven for a reason. You know, sure. <laughs> you, you, you lose seven games and you only have, you only win five. You're not very good. That means, that must mean the players aren't as good as they should be, or you think they should be. And I think we all have to say one thing, just because a player goes to SC doesn't mean that he's the best. He's automatically the best. What I am always fascinated by the draft is I look at players that are at schools that most of us would never even know existed, except you see that what school they went to. And then I see like some guy, let's say at the uh, Valdosta state or something. And he's, he's drafted in the sixth round and some guy that plays the same position at FC is a free agent, you know, that that's kind of a, a little bit of an uh, eyebrow raiser to me. Sure. And I think I'm going to call an audible right here as, as we move forward, um, getting out of the draft, because I, I think it's a good transition talking about development. I'm going to pull that, that Q&A with Aaron Osmus all the way up, because I, I think when you look at assistant coaches and uh, the, the freshman class coming in and all the new people around USC right now, Aaron Osmus has to rank up there pretty high in terms of importance um, with, with new guys coming into the program right now. And, and I think he's an interesting addition. I, I don't think anybody is under the assumption that uh, when Ivan Lewis went to the Seattle Seahawks and there was an opening a, at that spot, I don't think Aaron Osmus's name came up as like the slam dunk number one guy. Um, when you look back at the offensive coordinator thing, when there, when uh, position opening, Cliff Kingsbury was sort of everybody just gravitated towards he's going to be the guy. Um, when he left, I think a lot of people thought, okay, Graham Harrell's going to be the guy. With strength and conditioning, it, it was an osmus. And, and I think you kind of went through a few people and then you, you end up with Aaron Osmus there. But I don't, you know, after talking to him, it, it's one of those things you see in college football where, where you have a three star guy who just fits does everything well and then all of a sudden it's like hey how was that guy you know a three-star guy going through the process he's he's playing great I think that Aaron Osmus understands USC I think there's a difference when people come back to USC when when you went and got Lane Kiffin to come back and be the head coach um, when you go and get kind of these people that can sort of turn into retreads of oh they've been at USC they get USC obviously we see that kind of at, at every level when it comes to USC. But I do think with the football program, there's a difference between being at USC while they were winning and being at USC while they were sort of building that winning culture and, and being a part of it. And I'm really interested, the fact that Aaron Osmus was here 2001, 2002, 2003, when you're really laying the base for that run and then when he was here after Pete Carroll left, 2010, 11, some of those years, uh, you know, obviously crushed by sanctions. But you look at that 2011 season, that, that was a, a very, very good USC team. 
and he had a hand in that. So I, I don't know if he's kind of like, you know, he had to settle and this is not going to work. I think there's, again, some optimism. And we've said it all spring. Everything looks nice in spring when you change things and you're coming off a 5-1 season and it's like, hey, this is going to be better. Because you do want to believe it. You want to believe it's better. But what I liked in talking to him is that he came in with a plan. He knows what has worked at USC, what he's been able to help build there. And he, again, talked about simplifying. And I think it's a buzzword that has become easy to throw out um, because it sounds nice and it sounds sort of refreshing and, and you know, okay, this is going to work. But I think at the very heart of it, the idea of simplifying things, he talked about simplifying sort of the moves that they're doing. There's really like six core moves in the weight room that he wants all the players to get really good at master those and then move a little bit off of those uh, as they go along. But what I like, and, and you as a former coach, I'm sure can either, you know, back me up here or just absolutely slap me down here. But w- what I like about simplifying in all aspects of the program is it gives the players sort of a, a comfort level and a sense that, okay, I can do this. And their heads aren't spinning where it's like, oh my gosh, look at this playbook. And then I have to figure out this workout and then I've got to do all this stuff. When you say, you know, it's simple, it's simple, it's simple. We're just kind of paring everything down. You really only have to master these couple things. I think it gives you that confidence level to really attack all of those things in a way that maybe we haven't seen the last couple of years because heads have been swimming and trying to figure out all of these different things. So again, maybe you're simplifying things from, you know, a hundred to 98 or, or 97 or something. And maybe that's actually what's going on. But when you say it, I think it gets people to buy in and it really lets them put out a ton of effort into all facets of the program. And we heard that from the coaches during the spring, we heard that from the players. And now we're sort of hearing that from Aaron Osmus too the fact that these guys have, have really bought in and they're going all out. Aaron Osmus said he hasn't heard anybody complaining. He said everyone's really attacking these workouts. We heard from Clay Helton. He loved what was going on during the winter condition, conditioning sessions, loved what was going on during spring ball. And so, again, a, a five-win season, if that doesn't light a fire under you, I don't, I don't know what will if you're a USC uh, football player. But it seems Well, like let me, let me address – a couple of things here, excuse me. Yeah. Uh, number one, you know, you can use the old cliche in, in related to simplification. Uh, 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 jack of all trades, a master of none. Sure. You know, when, when SC under Paul Hackett and many of our longtime fans that are listening, remember the Hackett era, he had a million plays. He had plays for everything. The The playbook, by all accounts, was as thick as, uh, you know, the book War and Peace. But the point was, is when uh, Carroll took over, they simplified the offense because of Chow, and they made a couple adjustments, uh, you know, a couple of tweaks here and there, and they got very good at what they were doing. Uh, and transitioning to a comment that, you know, you brought up uh, Osmus and, uh, and Clay Helton, I thought in the story, uh, the Q&A that you did, a couple of things uh, jumped out at me. The first one here, and I'm going to quote it from it. Uh, you, the question was, how often and to what extent do head coaches influence the strength and conditioning program? 
And Osmus' comment was, I've worked with different coaches, and they're all different. Coach Helton feels he's not an expert in this field, and he wants me to be that. He's going to rely on me. He wants a strong program, strong team, a fast team, obviously a great condition team, and hopefully a team that can resist injuries as much as possible. I thought that was really revealing. And the reason I'm saying that is many times coaches will tell the strength and conditioning uh, coordinator the type of offense they want and what type of lineman they want to develop. Here was a case, and I think this was probably uh, – I don't know if I would use the word uh, <laughs> a bad opening, but the, the idea that he's saying that Helton feels he's not an expert in the field, I think to a lot of people that say, you don't even know what's happening in the strength and conditioning world. You know, we know that when, when, when Carol had Chris Carlisle, Carlisle as the strength and conditioning coach um, was intricately involved in recruiting. Uh, many times I hear Carl's, Carlisle say, I don't like his hips. I don't like this and that from a physical, uh, you know, a body technique. And Carol would, was really honed in on it. They didn't make a whole lot of mistakes in recruiting wise. Now, if you just think about what I just read, the quote of, of the story where the answer was the, the question about the idea that guys are, you know, injuries, you know, that, that idea of, uh, you know, injuries, you know, there's been a lot of injuries at, at SC. Okay, a lot of hamstring pulls, a lot of that stuff. And the quote was, hopefully a team that can resist injuries as much as possible. You have to wonder, is, is the idea of a strength and conditioning coach doing something that or not doing enough that brings on these injuries at some point? Now, Ivan Lewis, okay, he leaves SC, where does he go? Seattle Seahawks. So you'd have to say if he's good enough for, for uh, you know, Pete Carroll, he must be good enough. Uh so it's, it's going to be interesting, but to me, more interesting from my perspective is the idea that Helton says, I don't know that much, according to Osmus, I don't know that much about strength and conditioning. Maybe, you, uh, you know, you were there, you heard the way he worded it, but I'm just saying from what I read, it was like, hmm, that's, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, I, I don't think that Helton was just saying, hey, I'm not going to ever show up down here, and I, I, don't, I don't ever want to see it. Um, I, I, and I think it goes a little bit hand in hand with Helton, the way he sort of deferred to his offensive and defensive coordinators in the spring. I, I think it's that sort of thing. It's, you know, you come up with the plan. This is sort of the, the overall, you know, trajectory that I'd like for the program. Um, and, and then I, I do think Helton will, you know, he'll be able to say, let's tweak this or, or, you know, I, I'd like it to look like this. I, I don't think he's going to go completely hands off, but I thought it was interesting too, a little bit later in there when, when Aaron Oss was, when I, when I asked him about sort of how the, the air raid affects things, if that's a different thing, just because it, it hasn't been here at USC and he doesn't have uh, a lot of experience with it, if that changes anything. And, and he did say that they're going to have to go talk to Graham Harrell a little bit and figure out kind of exactly what he wants from all those positions. And he did say Harold gave him some specifics when it comes to wide receivers um, specifically. But I also liked when you talk about in, when, when you mentioned injuries, he, he sort of has a plan for that. You know, we, we, we saw some shoulder injuries this last year and he talked about sort of building the muscle around uh, that joint to, to let people withstand hits and contact with the ground. 
Uh, he talked about being able to, if you see sort of a rash of a particular injury, you know, hey, we've got to tweak something. We've, we've got to make a, an adjustment here. So I think, I think that the strength and conditioning coach can have an effect on injuries, but he does say that there's a lot of sort of dumb luck that comes into play. If a guy takes a helmet to the knee at the right angle, you know, you could be doing anything you want all off season and that's not going to help that sort of thing. And so he said, he's been part of teams with a, a run of amazing luck, uh, run a team, a, a part of teams with a run of just terrible luck. So I don't know how often you can go back, but again, if you're looking at, you know, 12 guys with hamstring issues through fall camp, that's something I think that you can go back and really take a look at and say that they, they, they were not ready. Um, they were not prepared correctly to get out there during fall camp. But I, I again, I, I think overall that there was this idea of like, okay, here we go again. It's a name that we know. It's a name that's been out of strength and conditioning for a little bit. Uh, obviously wasn't, you know, getting a, a ton of job offers, you know, all over from big, big time programs. Um, but after talking to him, it's, it's, again, I feel that sort of same cautious optimism where you talk about these guys seeing sort of a, a light flip, a, a light turn on with the players. He said they were, you know, it's a humble team they, they were pretty quiet when we talked, they just got to work and they've been kind of going all out. And when you look at the talent that's still on the roster, it's, it's got to be that buy-in. It's got to be, you know, the, the discipline, the wanting to work, the wanting to push yourself hard. Uh, Osmus awesome talked again about uh, former players coming in and saying, you know, we've got it. You've got to make the practice harder than the games. That's something that made them, those past teams, great. And so it's, it's the buy-in. And you've got to see how they can motivate these guys. But I do think, going back to my first point about Osmus, awesome, I think he's – as important an addition just in terms of the the potential you know when, when you see what happens um this year i think he could have a pretty big say in how this team turns out in 2019 well you know it's all about buy-in and that's part of coaching you've got to get players to believe in what you're doing and what you're saying something that you brought up with i thought was a very worthy point was this idea that practices have got to be harder than games and i will be the first one to tell you uh again I'm from the 60s don't like it is that is not how it's been the last two or three years you know especially when we SC even in some of the minor bowl games playing Wisconsin or uh, Nebraska in the physicality in the second half and you're just saying you know what Wisconsin I remember that holiday bowl they were practicing hard every day and we'd look at SC and they were not hitting it's like we don't want to get somebody hurt we get so worried about getting somebody hurt that you get somebody hurt in the game because you, you haven't been hitting and now they're getting really tested physically. And I hope they will return to the practices being tough. I think uh, when we were both down in San Diego, uh, that uh, question uh, that does relate to conditioning and all this stuff uh, that uh, Graham Harrell mentioned that somebody asked him about the practice is going to be tougher. And he basically came out and said, I don't know how you wouldn't make them tough. It's got to be a game like. And, uh, you know, I think we both would agree we saw a lot more 11 on 11, uh, you know, during spring ball. So uh, it's going to be something that to, to, uh, to really keep an eye on uh, during the season to see how they, they actually are conditioned to face physical teams. Yeah, I mean, it's so far through spring, it's, it's a lot of talk, right? I mean, until the first game that they've, the coaches have put a lot out there that 
I, I think they're going to be held to. I, I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of like, you know, well, let's wait till game nine or let's, let's wait till game 10. I mean, you, you've got till game two, game three, you know, b- before some of this stuff really has to come to fruition about, you know, we said we're going to do this and we said we're going to make it easy. And so, again, you're, you're with what everyone has sort of said this spring, this offseason, I, I think there's a lot to live up to because like like I said and like we've all sort of said, you like what you're hearing, you like what you're seeing so far. And so if it comes out just completely flat during fall camp, during the first couple of games, that, you know, th- those aren't just red flags. Those are red banners, you know, <laughs> where, where you're saying something is still not connecting here. So something's not, you know, computing. But I think what you want to be is cautiously optimistic because I think every program in the country no matter what they're coming off of, especially the teams that are coming off of losing seasons, are always going to look to turn to something positive. And usually that's going to be that kids are really working out hard. We have a new weight training program. You know, something to, to, to say things are getting better. But like you said, absolutely, you don't really know until you actually play other teams. And we're going to know early uh, whether all this change and even the strength and conditioning program, how, how much of an effect that's going to that's going to be right. And one thing we're going to see right off the bat, once fall camp starts uh, a new offensive lineman, um, drew Richmond, he was in the transfer portal. He was a starter at Tennessee and offensive tackle took a visit to USC. Uh, he, he was there during a spring ball practice. Uh, we, we both got to look at him while he was there. Big, big kid. Uh, he has a ton of experience as a starter and so he's going to come in now to USC, and they're going to throw him, I'm sure, right in the mix right away uh, for a potential starting spot. At, at right tackle, you'd assume that's kind of where a lot of his experience is. I'm curious if they try to you know, push Austin Jackson a little bit, throw him at left tackle, see what he can do there. But what's interesting to me is that USC so clearly settled on a starting five during the spring you just you didn't see a ton of you know second team or third team guys getting bumped up and taking reps with the first team while the first team guys were there there were days where, where they weren't there so you needed to fill in or somebody got dinged and you needed to fill in but those starting five seemed so set now all of a sudden there's no way you're bringing in drew richmond and not giving him a, a real crack at the starting lineup so I, I think that is one of those little jolts that you need coming off last year where certainly plenty of talk of guys sort of settling into a starting spot and feeling kind of comfortable with themselves there and not maybe pushing themselves. I think you need as many of these little jolts and additional pushes to those potential starters or maybe even a flip of a starter uh, that as you can. And at this point in this program, that there's never going to be enough offensive linemen that you can add uh, to your roster. So I I think, I don't know if Drew Richmond, the idea that he's a a multi-year starter in the SEC, I don't know if you're adding, you know, a a surefire first round NFL draft pick. I don't know if he's that kind of talent, but I do think it's a nice addition uh, at a spot that was needed at a time when it's needed. And, And so obviously it's going to be, interesting for him to see how he fits into this offense all these linemen got you know the the whole spring with it but again it's not like they've had three four years with this offense so we'll see how quickly 
he can kind of get it down and, and really jump in there. And, and I'm interested to see if that turns into a real battle uh, at, at like, like I said, most likely at right tackle. Well, Richmond, uh, I'm looking at it from two aspects. First of all, when Richmond came out of high school, depending on your scouting evaluation service, he was either a five-star or a four-star. Yes. So when we talk about developing and in that sense, there was the sense that he was very physically gifted. As you said, he's enormous. I mean, when you look at him, he looks like a lineman that I saw when I was on the field for Alabama versus SC uh, down there in Texas a couple of years ago. So he passes the looks test. There won't be any question about that. Also, you have to keep in mind that the offensive line at Tennessee was not very good. They had one of the worst uh, rushing attacks uh, in the country. Now, are you, can we say that that's the kid's fault? No. You know, we're gonna. This kid is coming to SC because he probably wants to get a lot of playing time. He's motivated, probably because of the NFL draft. Okay, and he's gonna get an opportunity. I mean, one of the best uh, grad transfers we ever saw was uh, Stevie Kuikalavatu uh, at nose tackle. Look what he did. He was motivated. He was considered a second string guy at, at Utah. I'll take another. And, uh, you know, I'm sorry. I'll take another one of him. Exactly. I, I think we would all raise our hand and say, yes, that, that would be great. So I'm looking at it uh, from a, a strictly positive side that I think at, at the very worst, what's it going to mean? He's going to have better depth at tackle. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen. I'm sure they'll practice him somewhat at guard. Uh, but I think it's a win-win situation for everybody. Uh, the good news is, is you know, Tim Drevno is going to get a chance to train him as Tim even knows more about the air raid offense and maybe the air raid offense in its simplicity for an offensive lineman. Remember, we were told they only have four running, four or five running plays and, you know, they get the ball out of the hands of the quarterback. Let me, I, I'll just say this. The guy is so big that you're going to have to really take an extra two steps to run around him. And that may be more than enough needed to, to help the offensive line and help whoever's quarterbacking. Yeah, and I think this helped, you know, it's one of those things, I think this helps Jalen McKenzie, who, who spent the entire spring uh, at, at right tackle. You know, you talk about a lot of times the, the second string guy, you know, let's push that guy, and the second string guy is going to get some reps and, and get better. But I think you need that fire. You know, the, like I said, there wasn't a real number two guy, maybe at center, Brett Nealon and, and Justin DHB and behind him, but it didn't feel like there was a, a number two guy along the offensive line that was a true threat to really unseat one of those guys that came out the first day of spring in those starting five. There, there is now. There's absolutely going to be at right tackle. I, I think unless Drew Richmond comes out, you know, the first day and just blows everybody away. But I, I think you've got that competition at right tackle now that's going to be fun to watch uh, when fall comes in again. Going back to what's worked, making the practices harder than the games, that comes, you know, with this too. It's it's hitting, but it's also just kind of the the tenacity of needing to hold on to your position and, and needing to be at your best every single snap. I, I think that again, anything that you can add to increase that aspect of practice helps in, in a big way too. Let me just uh, add two two final uh, thoughts on yep. on Richmond. Number one, for those that don't know, 
we, I, I talk about his size. I, I should give his size. He's approximately 6'5 or 6'6, depending on your measuring stick. And he's somewhere between 320 and 340, uh, somewhere in there. Maybe on a good day, 315. But that's uh, in terms of size. The other thing to consider is this. He has gone up against some tremendous defensive lines in the SEC. He's gone up against Alabama. He's gone up against LSU. He's, they've gone, he's gone up against some elite athletes. So the one thing I really think is working for him is he's not going to be intimidated or uh, by the defensive lineman of the uh, Pac-12. He's seen it all. He's played against it. And I think that's a, that's a real, real plus for him. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, you know, speaking of seeing it all, one thing we hadn't seen uh, before recently, we're talking about the USC Trojan Marching Band. They recently named, uh, Art Bartner recently names India Anderson the first female drum major of the band. And this is something where, you know, I don't, I don't know if there's a ton to say about it. I mean, outside of congratulations, it's always an honor for for anybody to be named there. I think this was sort of, uh, and and she's, you know, I think a few people said it kind of a long time coming and something that's, that's really nice to see. She'll be a junior in the fall. This is a position that's selected by a majority vote of the band members. And so I just, you know, I, I think both of us wanted to wish uh, congratulations to India Anderson, who's going to take over that role. And I think it's going to be really exciting to see her lead the band out and, you know, stab the field there against Fresno State this fall. <laughs> you know, I, I, I watched the video and I, I hope it worked when I put it on in my, my column the other day uh, to watch the, the, the people who were uh, competing against each other. And then uh, Dr. Bartner makes the announcement, right? So Everyone starts going wild, right? They're out on the field there. And uh, she gets the sword and she walks up and she immediately strikes that pose that you have seen so many decades. Uh, She just looked like the drum major, you know, the long hair. And then when she turned and faced the band and, you know, raised her hand and, you know, with the sword and her fist, uh, and started, you know, doing, doing some of the, you know, uh, nonverbal stuff. Uh, I think she's going to work out just nicely. And I, I'm actually glad to see in Dr. Bartner's final year, as we all know, he's going to be retiring after uh, the next football season, you know, to break some ground here for USC and, and I'll, I'll allow a, a woman to, to lead the band. I think she'll do fantastic. Absolutely. I'm, I'm right with you on that. And speaking of somebody who's doing fantastic, uh, we're going to go into the, the last point here. Juju Smith-Schuster, I, from leaving SC, every single thing this guy has touched has turned to gold. I mean, the, his sort of explosion on the social media scene, uh, everything he's done in Pittsburgh, I mean, to, to sort of become, I mean, obviously the quarterback there, Ben Roethlisberger, is going to be the face of that franchise. But for a guy who's been in the league as few years as he has to kind of climb to where he is in an organization like the Steelers I think that says a ton about sort of his personality and certainly his talent level so with the launching of the Juju Foundation he had sort of the the first uh, big event a tribute to Trojan football legends Greg you were able to go and attend and it felt like just again that kind of special Juju touch that that 
he has and was able to bring to this event? Well, you know, it was an exciting evening. It was at the Biltmore Hotel in downtown Los Angeles. For those of you who are not that familiar with the Biltmore, it's right across the street from Pershing Square, the the uh, legendary little gathering spot for people to, to talk and play cards and chess. And the hotel itself has been used in the past for uh, a lot of big events, political. Uh, Major League Sports has used it as the, the media headquarters. Uh, Major League Baseball uses has used it for the All-Star Game, et cetera, et cetera. So it was the appropriate venue. Uh, there was about 250 people that were there. It was a, a coat and tie affair. And, uh, you know, there was about 24 tables of 10 at a table. And I think what added the, the touch to it was that the, they called it the Trojans Legend Night, basically honoring Anthony Munoz uh, from a player uh, uh, spotlight and then someone from the media. It was Pete Arbogast, uh, the longtime play-by-play voice of the Trojans. But it was the other people that were there. I mean, the the list was... Uh, for a first-time event, which I'm sure will be an annual event and will grow, I mean, you had your naturals. Clay Helton was there. Uh, Len Swan was there. But then you had, well, first of all, if Anthony Munoz is there, you're already taking a step in the right direction. But <laughs> Sam Bam Cunningham was there. Okay, Lawrence Jackson was there. Paul McDonald, Rodney Pete, uh, you know, Shane Foley. Uh, I sat next to uh, C.R. Roberts, the legendary halfback for SC, and then went on to the um, the NFL. I just had great stories. I had Mike McGillivray, uh, you know, the punter, uh, who was there for Pete Carroll's, uh, you know, first year, and just the, the the feeling there. And they had the the a CD of the Trojan Marching Band, and you know, the people on on uh, Juju's. Uh, uh, list of helpers and his board of directors. One of the unique things is they had an auction there, <laughs> both an auction and a, and a live auction, uh, which kept the attention of everybody else. And then at the end, after Anthony Munoz talked about being an SC and what it meant to him and the idea of competition, and of course, Pete Arbogast talking about his memories of growing up, uh, you know, seeing SC. I mean, all wonderful stories. Uh, at the end, they had a little panel discussion. Uh, which was uh, the evening was hosted by I think it's his name is Elick Michelson uh, that's on uh, television uh, locally here and uh, the thing about it was it was a nice little discussion you know Clay Helton uh, you know got a little something in for next season he says that he's pissed the team is pissed everybody's pissed you know uh, and then, you know everybody starts applauding he says I can't wait for the first game which was, I thought, was, 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 was uh, you know, you're hoping that it all comes true, that, you know, they're going to take it out on Fresno State. Uh, but all in all, the evening was good. They got a $10,000 check uh, to one of the foundations uh, that Juju uh, wants to support, and that was the Boys and Girls Club of, of Los Angeles. And what I think uh, for Juju when he gave, came to speak, which is always very important to me, having been a teacher and a coach, he gave so much credit to his teachers, some were in the audience, uh, some of the, you know, his, his coaching, people at USC uh, that were his academic advisors, very humble, very appreciative. Uh, and it, it was just a, it was a really a, a feel-good night that when I left, I said, you know what, there'll be many other Juju Foundation banquets because it, it will definitely grow. Uh, and I don't think, uh, you know, 
you, you'd expect anything less from him, but it's still surprising, like I said, at how uh, outspoken he has been and, and how much he's really tried to do in various communities back here in LA, Long Beach and in Pittsburgh as well. And I think just, you know, any good thing that happens to him is fine by me. I just, I've loved watching his time at USC and and his time after USC. I think he has just kind of blossomed. And I think he's a guy that you are going to hear about and from for a long time in the NFL. And then for a long time after that too, I think he's kind of setting himself up uh, to be, you know, one of those guys that, that really leaves a legacy. And that was one of those fun things. And Certainly glad to have him connected to USC. Um, I think it kind of- I will tell you one thing uh, that we were all kind of laughing about was, you know, this last Super Bowl they ran that commercial right where Juju's running through the yes. the ballroom and, and he jumps up on one of the tables. So somebody says, you "Think that maybe he'll jump up on a table?" <laughs> you know, so, you know, obviously that commercial had had the the lasting effect that it wanted. Because uh, the first thing you saw him was in that suit, and you go, "All right, nobody throw a football." By the way, on the, each table, I might add, was a Trojan helmet that they auctioned off, uh, or bid uh, individually within your own ten people group. It had uh, Len Swan's autograph, Munoz's autograph, uh, you know, Rodney Pete, et cetera, et cetera. So it was it was a nice touch uh, for those uh, that were sitting at the at the table. Now everybody got a juju uh foundation uh baseball hat that yeah that's terrific uh, congratulations to, to juju for launching uh this foundation and all the good work that he's done so far with that certainly like you said looking forward to a, a number of of future um events from him and the foundation so i, I think that kind of covers the this sort of past week or so in, in usc sports uh at this point We appreciate you listening to the We Are SC podcast. For Greg Katz, this is Eric McKinney.